0: Welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. Today I'm your host, Sydney Johnson, filling in for my colleague, Jeff Young. Many economists call the current era of technology growth a boom era, not unlike previous gold rushes such as the dot com bubble. But the thing about bubbles is they usually pop. And that has some people concerned because if we are in a period reminiscent of the dot com boom, does that mean another bust is on the horizon? It's not only tech employees who are paying attention to these patterns. In higher education, the number of computer science majors across the U.S. mimics trends of boom and bust markets, in finance and technology in particular. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, for example, the number of computer science degrees awarded at higher ed institutions in the U.S. surged from 15,000 in 1980 to more than 42,000 in 1986, the year before one of the worst economic crashes in history. But over the next six-year period... The number decreased by nearly half, dropping to 24,000 in 1993. While the crash hurt people in all kinds of fields, the pattern didn't have the same effect across disciplines. So while CS degrees dropped, degree attainment in business, social, and behavioral sciences, as well as education in the humanities, continued increasing. Things get more interesting when we look at the dot-com bubble. After the dust settled from Black Monday, CS majors slowly began growing more popular again, And in 2001, the number of bachelor CS degrees surpassed its previous peak more than a decade prior. Then, another major economic event happened, and the dot-com bubble burst. In the years following 2004, the number of CS majors plummeted again. Since 2010, however, CS majors are again in vogue and on the incline. And the Computer Science Research Center claims that the current enrollment surge has in fact exceeded previous CS booms. But what have we learned from these patterns? And what can it tell us about the future? Moran Sahami, professor and associate chair for education in the computer science department at Stanford University, has witnessed and followed the pattern closely. We'll hear from him about it, but first, a quick message. This episode of the EdSurge Air podcast is brought to you by the EdSurge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the EdSurge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. Okay, so we have Moran Sahami here. Thanks for hopping on this call, Moran.
1: Sure, thanks for having me.
0: So I wanted to uh, chat with you a little bit about some trends in the CS industry. One thing that we've seen is how there are, you know, increases and decreases in in CS majors that seem to match patterns in the tech industry, um, such as more CS majors around uh, leading up to the dot-com boom and then a real sharp drop-off after that. Looking at this history, how have you seen this play out in the CS department at Stanford?
1: Um, Well, it tracks pretty closely. So actually, several years ago, probably about a decade ago, I did a little analysis where I looked at the number of students declaring computer science at Stanford each year. And I correlated that actually with the NASDAQ Composite Index, which is a a tech-heavy stock index. And the correlation is actually extremely strong. So you can see, you know, what I did was I shifted the when students declared by nine months to sort of say that because that would align it with the calendar year and also to, to account for the fact that it takes some amounts of time for sort of these macroeconomic changes to influence students' decision making. Hmm. But when you do that, you actually find things like, you know, the, um, you know, peak in 2000 for the NASDAQ corresponds mm-hmm. exactly with the peak in enrollment at that time. Then they both drop off. Um, but there's an interesting thing. At some point, they do diverge, and there's, there's certain other reasons you can look at for, at that divergence. For example, mm-hmm. um, there's a drop after the dot-com bubble sort of burst in, in uh, March 2000, you know, in that time period. And then it, you fast forward a few months, and you begin to see the drop-off in student enrollment. Uh-huh. But at some point, when the NASDAQ begins to recover, you see that student enrollment Continue to drop, and it's because there's news around that same time that jobs are being in software are being offshored. There's this perception among students that even though the economy may be recovering, that's not necessarily translating into jobs for them domestically. Mm. But then there's other turning points too, where starting around 2008, we start to see an increase. Um, which grows pretty significantly of the number of CS majors at Stanford. And that was kind of a, a, a bleeding indicator to the national trend where you know we've certainly seen an increase in CS majors nationally.
0: That's a great point. I mean, now that we're kind of in this moment of an uptick again for CS majors, does this tell us anything about the market for tech jobs today?
1: Well, I think there, there's clearly... Um, a lot of demand for tech jobs now. There's, depending on, you know, who you talk to, there's an estimate that puts a ballpark of about 500,000 unfilled IT jobs nationally. And so given that there's a lot of opportunities there, it's, you know, economically a, a very healthy field and there's a lot of job prospects. I think that does affect student decision-making.
0: Could this be any indicator of, of another tech burst?
1: depending on who you talk to. um, Some people say we're in another bubble now. Some people say it's a fundamental shift. I think if there is an economic downturn in the high tech sector, there'll probably be some accompanying uh, effect with the number of students deciding to go into CS. Mm. But the numbers are so large now that, you know, even if they were to fall, say at Stanford by 50%, which would Mm. be a pretty extreme drop, our numbers of CS majors each year would still actually be larger than the peak at the 2000.com bubble because our, our increase in enrollment has just been that strong.
0: How has that increase affected staffing? Like currently there's uh, more CS majors at Stanford than ever before. How has this affected CS professors? Is there a need for more or have you guys been able to keep up?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's a need for more. Um, So, the growth in the faculty, for example, has not at all kept pace with the growth in the number of students. Mm. That has to do with a lot of factors. Part of it it has to do with the way universities operate, right? They don't, uh, in some sense, they're slower moving ships. They don't respond exactly to the enrollment growth Mm. um, that happens from time to time because, you know, there's other, when you hire someone in the university, you know, you're potentially hiring them for life with the tenure system. And so there tend to be less um, direct responses between enrollment and size of faculty. But I would certainly say, you know, we've seen a national trend that there's a shortage of faculty candidates and you sort of get the double whammy in that when there's more economic prospects, uh, more people are interested in going to industry as opposed to academia, mm-hmm. which can potentially make it harder to hire. And then at the same time, you have more students who are, enroll in courses in the academy. And so you have more demand.
0: What that makes me think of as well is not necessarily for uh, faculty and professors, but we hear this notion of a skills gap in STEM education. I think that that's still, uh, for some people, uh, debated. Is there any evidence that you see behind this? And how does the fluctuation in CS degrees maybe fit into that skills gap narrative?
1: Right. I mean, I think one of the things that sometimes gets convolved is when we talk about STEM, we're actually putting together a lot of different fields. And some of those fields have a greater skill gap than other fields. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important to think about computing separately from just thinking about STEM in general. But, mm-hmm. you know, within computing, there's certainly, uh, you know, there's certainly many unfilled jobs out there. So there's certainly a gap between the number of students who have these skills or the number of people that have these skills in general and the demand for these skills. And I think that demand's just going to grow over time. I and mean, we'll see fluctuations. There may be economic fluctuations that impact, you know, on a shorter term basis, the number of jobs that are available. But in the long term, when you look at the trends in technology and how many different aspects of life technology is a part of, in the long term you're only going to see an increase.
0: In addition, we've also seen an increase in the number of coding boot camps. How does that kind of fit in when we're seeing more and more c s majors? Do you think that that's part of this boom period that we're in right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think coding boot camps are are what you would naturally expect to see given the demand for these kind of skills, right? And if there aren't if there isn't enough capacity in universities to train students with these skills, then you're going to see other kinds of, you know, educational opportunities like coding boot camps emerge. Um, I think the the big question that still you know needs to be answered because they haven't been around that long is, you know, do the boot camps actually provide, you know, enough training in some sense to give someone a foundation for a you know, 40, 50 year career in technology? Or are they really just trying to get sort of enough skills, uh, you know, du jour of the day Mm -hmm. to students to get them, you know, try to place them in a particular job? And, you know, there's, again, there's conflicting opinions on that.
0: If there were another tech burst, how might the coding boot camps feel the effects of that compared to a university CS program?
1: Well, you know, in our CS program, we're trying to give students that foundation for a 40, 50 year career. I think if there were to be, you know, a bursting in some sense of an economic bubble, we might see our student numbers come down a little bit. But I think given the growth, as I mentioned before, we're going to still have, you know, very healthy numbers in our program. Um, and so that's not something that we worry about from the standpoint of enrollment for us, right? I mean, there's other worries about the impact on the economy, the impact on people, but in terms of enrollment, that's not a huge worry for us. Mm. Um, in some sense, it would ease the pressure we have. I think for the coding boot camps, it's going to vary a lot more based on their quality and their reputation, right? In some sense, if there is a downturn and there's less demand for these skills, how are students going to decide, you know, whether or not a coding bootcamp is still right for them or which is the right one for them. And so in that sense, they don't have the, the track record to be able to provide them some kind of buffer in a downturn. But it depends when that happens and what kind of reputation they build up, right? Where do their students go and what kind of comfort do people have with respect to the quality of the education they think they're getting there?
0: So another important question here, of course, is how women are largely underrepresented in CS programs and tech careers I believe the highest year for women CS majors was around 1984. You know, why has that gone down, especially amid this period where it seems like there's some reflection in Silicon Valley about getting more women
1: into tech? Yeah, there's, there's different theories about why it's gone down. You're right. There was a larger number of women in the early mid eighties in computing. And then that went down and it's going back up again now. Um, And there's, there different theories around it. One of the things we've seen at Stanford, for example, is that the number of people in computing in general increases the percentage of women, not just the number of women, but the percentage of women, at least at the college level, goes up. Mm. And you get these effects where, um, you know, as the major gets larger, even if women were a smaller percentage, there's more of them and that forms a community. And then that community forms a sense of identity that, you know, we need more women in this program. And they feel a sense of belonging in the program. And so some of the barriers that might have existed previously in terms of the program appearing as though um, you know it wasn't welcoming to a particular group of people now becomes more welcoming. So one of the things we've seen at Stanford is that there is also a pretty strong correlation between just the size of our program and the percentage of women. So it's been going up uh, over the past few years, and at this point, it's a little bit over 30%.
0: So is there anything else from your own research in this space that you think is important for folks to think about when um, maybe they're either choosing a CS major or for people who work in this space?
1: Well, I think something that's important for, you know, parents to think about for the younger generation is earlier exposure to computing. So one of the things that you know, we've seen at Stanford is that um, our introductory classes are almost 50 50. In terms of men and women, I think, you know, depending on the particular quarter, they're around, you know, 45 percent, 55 percent. But then that number, the percentage of women drops off in the subsequent classes. And it made us wonder, why is this the case? Is there something about the introductory class that's not welcoming, which might be the initial thought if someone sees the percentages declining after that class? And what we actually found was something very different, which was that if you look at when students take that first class, men tend to take it earlier in their academic career, especially freshman year. So if they like it and decide they want to major in CS, they have the opportunity still. Mm -hmm. Women tended to take it later in their academic career, junior or senior year. And if you're taking your first CS class senior year, even if you like it, it's impossible to finish the major in the remainder of the year. So I think the important thing is earlier exposure for everyone so that they can, one, be able to see whether or not, you know, this is something, a field that might be of interest to them to pursue later on, but two, also to get more of those technical skills that everyone's going to need in the future.
0: And for someone who is uh, maybe weary of of another tech burst, um, you know, is it worth even starting that CS education early? What's your advice to them?
1: Well, I think, you know, one, at the high level, I would say it's important for someone to, to pursue something that they really feel passionate about and that they feel like they want to pursue through upturns or downturns.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I think that there is, you know, in terms of making career choices or those kind of life choices, it's more than just what the economic opportunity is today. Um And, you know, when I was graduating was 1992 and it was the first time IBM had layoffs and there was people wondering what the future of jobs and technology and software was going to look like. But, you know, the group of us that were doing it then were doing it because we loved it.
0: Okay. Muran, thank you very much. Sure. Thank you. This podcast was produced by me, Sydney Johnson. And next week you'll be joined again by Jenny Abamu for more on the future of education and technology.